This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN. Big wild card weekend already. Uh, the uh, Seahawks in a bit of trouble. Down 10 nothing. Uh, five minutes into the game. Doesn't seem like things going so well there for the Seahawks. But, uh, of course, uh, tomorrow we get the Giants. We get the Vikings. One of the real featured matchups this weekend. And, like, if you were to pick, what game do you think has the best odds of being the best game? I think Giants-Vikings might be my number one pick. It's certainly not. It was never going to be Niners Seahawks. That's for sure. It's certainly not going to be Bills Dolphins. Uh, that's for sure. I don't think uh, I don't have a high level of confidence. The Bengals and Ravens with a third string quarterback likely for Baltimore. So I don't have a high level of confidence there. So now you're already down to three games. So at worst case scenario, it's the third pick. But uh, we've been talking a lot about the Giants. We've been talking a lot about the Jets. What we have not talked yet about is the Mets. Because this week we finally got an answer with the whole Carlos Correa thing. Back to uh, Minnesota, not the Giants, not the Mets. He is now a member of the Twins. And uh, as I tweeted out during the week, Mets were about as good as wrapping up that deal as they were wrapping up the National League East this season. And it's funny. If you stick around long enough, you see the pivot. And it was less than a month ago that the Mets signed Correa in the middle of the night. And oh my God. The reaction was immediate, and it was universal. It was World Series, here we come. It was Steve Cohen is the new George Steinbrenner. There's a new evil empire, and it's not the Yankees, it's the Mets. This was the final piece that will now put the Mets over the top. So much so... His signing is going to overshadow the Aaron Judge uh, contract. Remember, that was the same day. And what were they saying about Carlos Correa? What were they saying about that signing? On SNY, they talked about how it was the centerpiece of the Mets offseason, that you're getting the prime years of Carlos Correa. And then when things started to get a little sticky and the, 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 uh, the, the, the physical started to look like things were going sideways, people were quick to point out, well, Carlos Correa, it's got nothing else left. Where is he going to go? It's inevitable that he will be part uh, of the Mets organization and they'll get it worked out. There's nowhere else for him to go. And then the deal falls apart. And again, the reaction was universal in, ah. Eh, we didn't need him anyway. What? Wait a second. Three weeks ago, you were talking about he was the final piece on a championship-level team, the centerpiece of your offseason. That you were going to the World Series. This was going to put you over the top. Ah, eh, we don't need him. We're going to get Otani next year. We're going to get, you know what? We want, we'd rather have Manny Machado. We don't need him. He was a luxury. I, 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 if I had a dollar for every time that I heard that Carlos Correa was a luxury for the Mets, I would be Jeff Bezos. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, what, what, what happened here in three weeks? The talking points on this one, and it, it seems like Mets fans are so shell-shocked from the Wilpons that noth- there is nothing Steve Cohen could do that they will ever think that Steve Cohen doesn't know what he's doing. And, and I'll make it clear, I have no idea with what Carlos Correa's ankle looks like or what, it, what it's going to do. 
is it, it's very possible he gets hurt this year or next year. It really is all just guessing. I have absolutely no idea. But what is clear, and this cannot be debated, this is not me being a Met hater or anything, the Mets still wanted the player. They were still willing to give him a six-year contract, but they got outbid by the Minnesota Twins by like $40 million. Outbidding people is Steve Cohen's whole thing. That's his brand. That's what he does. He comes in, he, he's got his, his wallet in a holster, and he spins it around like the old cowboys in the old west, and he outbids everybody. Be it Scherzer, be it Verlander, be it Nimmo, be it Marte, doesn't care what the price tag is. So it's very puzzling that the, uh, the talking points, boy, they were handed down on high, and everybody is walking in lockstep in terms of what the, the answer is about Carlos Correa. Very odd. Every single person, ah, he was a luxury. Eh, I didn't need him anyway. Wait, what? I thought it was about putting you over the top. And maybe it is that his ankle, because people say, well, you know, his ankle is such an issue that you could not possibly sign him. Well, then why were you offering six years? And it would seem reasonable. I'm not a doctor, clearly. But it would seem reasonable that if he was going to have problems with the ankle, it would show up pretty significantly in the next six years, right? Like if he get, if I told you Carlos Correa is not going to have any problems in the next six years, it's kind of hard to envision that, well, the ne- right after that, it's like an, uh, an expiration date. It's all of a sudden just going to implode. So then why were you offering him six years anyway? It's very, very odd. Also odd that the Mets used the same doctors the Giants used. That's strange. And, and the, what's different with the Mets than really any of the other teams involved in this is if, the, if he gets hurt in year two, but the Mets won a World Series next year, nobody would care. The owner wouldn't care. The fans certainly wouldn't care. Media certainly wouldn't care. But it seems like the Mets kind of like got bogged down in haggling with a player that they still clearly wanted, and they're the team that doesn't care what the price tag is. But I just kept hearing, well, you know, they didn't need him anyway. He's a luxury Well, the only problem with that whole line of reasoning is, you know who doesn't feel that way? The owner. The owner didn't think he was a luxury. He was the final, according to the owner, he was the final piece on a championship-level team. And one other thing is that since this has gone sideways, there's also been like this idea, well, you know, he's not that, that, that good of a player anyway. He doesn't really warrant what he was getting. If he's healthy, he's a difference maker. I mean, part of the spin that Correa is really not all that good. Well, you know, he's only got one gold glove. He's not worth the money. If he's healthy, the last three years, he had an OPS plus of 138 on average. He's a five-win player, according to War. He is elite defensively. So it's just being, I mean, you're just being silly at this point. And and it feels like a a running theme that, like, if somebody turns down the Mets, oh, we're going to pile on that guy. Jacob DeGrom, greatest pitcher ever. What, he went to Texas? Ah, he's not a real ace. What? What are we? Uh, it's very, very strange. Very, very odd. And I get it. Teams, there are teams that made mistakes this offseason that we don't know yet, right? Every team makes mistakes in offseason signing long term contracts. And the fact that there are this many, uh, you know, long term, 10, 11, 12 year contracts this year means that there's a better chance that, that multiple teams have made terrible mistakes this offseason. And very well possible the Minnesota Twins just made a terrible mistake. We will find out. But, and if the Mets had seen the tests of the ankle and said, you know what, 
we can't sign this guy at all. It's a deal breaker. Well, then you have to walk away. You have to trust the medical expert. But that's not what they did. They were still willing to sign him for six years. That's not a year or two. And if, if this, this ankle is such an issue, it's going to pop up in the next six years. Very, very odd. And, and again, it's not debatable. They got outbid by the Minnesota Twins. By, and it wasn't even close. It was like $50 million. Very strange. All right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to uh, John is in Brooklyn. John, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Oh, uh, what's up, Gordon? Um, I just wanted to talk about, like, Kenny Galladay. And- Kenny Galladay, okay. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I know you're talking about the Mets. I was listening, but, uh, like, the the – I used to like him when he was on the lines. Like, I thought he was a really good receiver. And, you know, uh-huh. he's been pathetic pretty much this season. Yeah. But if, if if he does, you know, puts in some work in the playoffs, and let's say he's our leading receiver in the playoffs, he does real good, we win a game or two, do you think, like, that, that makes up for his season? No. <laughs> in a word, uh, John, no. As soon as the Giants season is over and as soon as the Giants can cut Kenny, Kenny Galladay – he could catch uh, 12 balls tomorrow and three touchdowns. He is still uh, not going to be a giant next year. Jeez. <laughs> is that okay? All right. That's great. That's great. All, all pro- Thanks for the phone call, John. All problems should, should, should be that easy, right? If only all problems in life were as clear cut uh, than uh, Kenny Galladay's future with the Giants. Rob is in New Jersey. Rob, what's going on, my man? Hey, how you doing, Gordon? Hey, Rob, what's um, up? Two things, right? Uh, made me call was him talking the guy talking about Carmelo getting his number retired and yeah. I'm a Melo fan, I Syracuse fan, so but I say, you know, no way. The body of work isn't there like no, you it's, said. It's not even and close. he wasn't drafted by the Knicks. No. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I, I don't think and don't also think but it does I mean there are it's it's surprising to me, Rob, as 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 Nick fans who lived through the mellow era and what you thought it was going to be and what it turned out to be there are far more people who think that it's warranted for him to get his jersey retired than uh, than I would expect, you know, because I don't uh, think it's really I guess because the Knicks been so bad for so long. Right. I, yeah. I don't know what they're looking right. at. But also with the Jets, I really think, like, I get it. team was bad for so long, and they start out, you know, with a nice little, what are they, 5-2 and two or whatever. But mm-hmm. they five and two, never really three, seven, beat anybody this year. You know, they beat Miami with the backup quarterback. Their biggest the win, Bills. I think, is what, Buffalo? Yeah, they beat the Bills. Yeah. That's a good win. Buffalo was the biggest one. So what do you say? you think they're overhyped? All right, I guess so. Well, look, uh, I mean, it does – it's amazing what six weeks will change, how it will change, because at, when the Jets got to 5-2 and two, – if you would have told anybody, ah, the Jets aren't going to make the playoffs, they would say, well, "You're out of your mind." Jets are rolling here. They got they got it all they got it all working, and as long as they can, you know, kind of cover up the quarterback to a certain extent, they're in great shape. And and the turnaround has happened, right? And they got that win in Green Bay, and and Sauce Gardner's walking off the field with the cheese head on his head, and yeah, no, I mean things were looking good. Um, because as silly as it is to look through the schedule like we do every single year, and we'll do again, make no mistake, when the schedules come out, as stupid of, a, of an exercise as it is, <laughs> we will be doing it. But when you looked at the schedules when they came out, there was a group that thought, well, those first five games, those are brutal. 
That's a brutal stretch. And I was in the second group who thought, well, the second five games are brutal. But everybody agreed the last five games were kind of the easy part of the schedule where the Jets could really make up some ground, and they got to December and didn't win a game. So it's, it was nice for a change to have meaningful games in December. Next year, they got to win some meaningful games in December. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Kenneth Walker, a touchdown for them. So uh, Christian McCaffrey having some big plays for the Niners. So uh, Seahawks right now trailing Niners 10-7 as they play in the second quarter. And uh, we will have our NFL picks coming up at 6 o'clock. There were a couple other things I wanted to hit on with the Yankees before we get to, back to the phones. Um, I mentioned earlier about the Frankie Montas thing being out uh, the first month. There was also a headline in The Athletic this week that was something along the lines of it, it, it appears like uh, the Yankees' uh, left field options. I wish I could remember what the exact headline was. I have it here somewhere. But it looks like that the, the Yankees' uh, left field options, yes, uh, here it is, may wind up unresolved by opening day. Left field situation may, resolve, may end up unresolved by opening day. Yeah, we all kind of know that, right? We, we've been thinking that for a while. And for all the talk about, uh, you know, Brian Reynolds, I would not expect the, the Yankees have given you the game plan of how they do things. They do things every offseason. They've done things this offseason. But when they get to this point of the year, maybe they'll take a flyer on somebody who's cheap. But the money is basically spent for this season at this point. The budget has been met. And now they will go into the season with uh, you know, the list of candidates out there, be it uh, Cabrera, be it uh, Aaron Hicks is going to be in the mix, and then they'll see how things go. And then as they get closer to the trade deadline, they'll probably make a move or two. And to me, you know, like the, the reports are, well, you know, the Pirates are asking for a fortune for Brian Reynolds. And I would not give up a fortune for Brian Reynolds. He's a good player. Uh, he's, I don't think he's a superstar player. If you are ever going to give up a fortune – the person you should have given up the fortune for was last off, uh, last season before the trade deadline, and you go get Juan Soto. Could you imagine the lineup of Judge Back and Juan Soto? Oh, my God. The amount of tickets you would sell? You'd have to wear hard hats at the stadium from all the balls flying out of there. They wouldn't even have to juice the balls this time around. They could just have the regular old baseballs. That would be outstanding. But, uh, no, I mean, clearly it's going to be – Left field is going to be all the same candidates that you know right now. They're not making any major moves. There's no Brian Reynolds on his way, at least not anytime soon. So don't fear that, my friends. Have no fear. <laughs> Aaron Hicks is here. But uh, all right, let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number. Let's go to uh, Richard is in Manhattan. Richard. Gordon, has yes. there ever been two more unlikely starting quarterbacks first round of a playoff game Brock Purdy and Geno Smith oh I thought you were going to say Skylar Thompson you include him yeah. if you want to throw in Daniel Jones Trevor Lawrence oh, I mean you wouldn't have been surprised are, you know. if these five quarterbacks weren't in the NFL at the end of the year and they're well, Gino all is certainly, I mean the story of Geno this year has been uh, has been fantastic for a guy who has never played at this level at what any about point Daniel Jones? the season that he had well, I what mean, Daniel Jones, it was still kind of unknown. Geno Smith is 33 years old. Okay. I but mean, at least he had I mean, experience. Well, very rarely you get somebody to be 33, never show any signs of this, and then all of a sudden on a team that we all, myself included, thought was going to be one of the worst five teams in football, and he's, he's playing at like an MVP kind of level. 
Gordon, the most important position in any sport, quarterback, you got five guys, very unlikely before the season, you thought that these guys would be starting quarterbacks. I mean, there were doubts about Trevor Lawrence. After yeah, last but that year. Was, I think that was, that was a little bit overblown. I mean, Trevor but Lawrence was the pick in the draft. Right, but there were doubts. Yeah, there was hesitation whether he could make it. I don't know who it. these people were that were having these doubts, though. That's All right. Yeah. I don't know. The other guys it's I agree it's an that. unbelievable story, the NFL yeah. like this, first round. Uh, you know, Samuel, Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, they bring back memories of guys like, in the old days, Frank Gifford and Chuck Foreman. And even recently, as recent as Marshall Falk, guys who were just as adept catching the ball as running the ball. You know, it's nice to see that these guys can do things like that because you don't really see that anymore. You know, you don't really see these kind of guys that can do both that well. You know, and well, uh, when you throw in Kittle and you throw in the fullback too, guys who are offensive players but also are major contributors in the blocking. You know, like the Niners have very specific superstar kind of players. Um, oh yeah, that, you know, are, are the best at their positions, but they're not the maybe the prototypical guys at their positions. You know, you just mentioned about the Yankees left fielder. I wouldn't be surprised if they made a move at second base and got rid of Torres and used one of their new kids coming up. Really? Yeah, but they, I don't know I that they, they have that many kids to. I mean, I think they're already going to have Peraza in the mix at shortstop. I think Cabrera is likely going to be like a jack of all trades, but will be playing a significant amount in left field. Uh, I don't know that they, you know, like unless Volpe is ready, I don't, I don't think they, they're I don't sold think they on Torres. Three kids contributing that much to a team that has to make the playoffs. I don't think they're sold on Torres. I don't. Th- I, I don't think either. I, I, and if they did move Torres, uh, I could see that, but it almost kind of opens up another hole because I don't think that with Lemayhew at his age and his injury history and the no shifts and all that type of stuff that you can have him as your everyday second baseman. Yeah. Did you watch the Nick game at all last night? I did, of course. I was all in. Oh. They looked okay. I, I think you I'm know? gonna stop. I think I'm gonna start watching only when they blow the lead. Like I don't want to watch them build up the lead. I just want to watch them blow the lead so that I can see whether or not they could. Because that's the whole the whole thing with Nick games. Are they, are they gonna Are they gonna blow the whole lead? Are they gonna get the lead back? It's like it, it almost should be like a sponsored segment on the game. Gordon, I'll give you another one you won't believe. Sacramento at the midpoint of the season is leading Golden State, both LA teams. And the Phoenix Suns. That that's amazing to me. That's amazing to them and the Utah Jazz. Utah Jazz. Everyone thought they were going to yeah, tank the they're season. Tanking, yep, absolutely. Imagine that. They're, they're twenty-two and twenty-three. That kid Markinen is play, not as good as Donovan Mitchell, but he's a, a little step below. And what did they get? Five or six draft choices included. Yeah, they got a bonus. I don't know if Markinen can stay at this kind of pace like Donovan right. Mitchell, but still, I mean, well, see, it's pretty wild what happened. Yeah, you know, Richard, I, I find it amazing following the uh, the NBA. It's just unfortunate what happened to the Nets. Just when they looked like they were going to make some uh, some noise in the in the East Conference, there with Philly and the Celtics. I don't think they'll be able to recover with the uh, injury to uh, Durant. Well, they got a Gordon, long time before the playoffs start. Always a pleasure, start. Gordon. Thank All right, Richard. Thanks for the phone call. They got a long time before the playoffs start, and with it, it has been every single year. It's about getting both those two guys, and I guess you can throw Simmons into the mix. Get them healthy, keep them healthy when the playoffs get. And, and what it shows you is that they, they can still make it work, right? Like we've had all these questions about the Nets, and it seemed like after last year they were going to blow it up. They didn't blow it up. But it just shows you that if you have Kevin Durant healthy and you have Kyrie focused, um, they are still a very dangerous team. And if you could ever get them healthy and keep them healthy come postseason time, 
they will be a threat. And I'm, I'm a little focused in on Sacramento because if they do make the playoffs this year, which you would think is, is looking pretty good, then that, they are the longest team currently with the longest playoff drought in North American sports. I think it's 16 years for them. But if they make the playoffs this year, then the Jets and some team in hockey, I can't remember who, they will then be tied for the longest playoff drought in all of North American sports, not just the NFL. That's, that's a long time. Uh, let's go out to Halima is in uh, Newark. Halima, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Hello, Hello long Halima. time listener, first time caller. How Thank are you. you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Happy New Year and all that good jazz. Okay. I just wanted to put a different spin on the whole Jets OC thing. Yeah. Um, Growing up as an um, NFL superstar daughter and my brother being a coach in the NFL, it is, I do agree with you that the quarterback actually is the most important thing. I do Absolutely. feel like it matters more of how the talent is. But I do think that the reputation of how they get along, the coach and the player, matters too. Oh, yeah, so, sure. Um, yeah. But if you if you get a, a really good quarterback, and I don't know if there is that person out there this this off season, but if it say say the Jets somehow were able to go out and get you know Lamar Jackson, the people who would want to be the offensive coordinator, it's a far deeper list, and there would be a lot of people that would be willing to sign up for coaching Lamar Jackson. Whereas if they went out and got Gardner Minshew, the list would dwindle up pretty quickly. Absolutely, you're true. All right. All right, Halima. Well, I thank love, you very much for I making love, the phone I call. I appreciate that. it. Thank and you. happy New Year to you. All right. Well, thanks for the phone call. Um, yeah, no, I mean, look, um, to me, the offensive coordinator, I'm not telling you it's not important, and I'm sure that is the focus because I would think that they're going to fill that position before they will even get the opportunity to go out and, 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 and think about what guys are free agents or what guys are available via trade. Um, so I can understand why that would be the first thing on the, on the shopping list. But to me, that's not nearly as important as going out and getting the right quarterback. And I don't know that either Jimmy Garoppolo or David, I'm not, I'm not doing backflips over either as, as a, as a longtime dolphin fan, I'm not looking at either of those guys and say, Oh my God, the jets. Well, look out here come the jets. They're getting Jimmy Garoppolo. What the jets are uh, agreed to terms with Derek. Oh my goodness. Look out! Here come the Jets. I'm not. I'm not thinking that way. You would like to think that you can get somebody who can get in there and and simply play the position at an acceptable level. That's. I mean, that's the that's the baseline. And you didn't really have that. You were covering up that position, even when uh, when Zach Wilson was in there and you were winning games. And you'd like to think that bringing back Brees Hall, getting him healthy for next year, getting the offensive line healthier and improved from last year, the offensive other weapons between, um, between Garrett Wilson and uh, Elijah Moore, although Elijah Moore had a very disappointing year this year. Now, part of that, I guess, would have to be chalked up to the quarterback play, but still, even then, uh, Garrett Wilson was, was outstanding this year, and um, it, didn't, it didn't prevent him from still being a, a factor as much as it did for Elijah Moore, but Look, the Jets have some weapons on offense. If they can improve the offensive line and go out somebody and get somebody who can actually p- play the position at a relatively high level, just like if they can be like the 15th best quarterback, then they should be in pretty good shape offensively. But it's whether or not they can find that guy. And, you know, with, with Garoppolo, keeping him healthy, that's, that's another big problem. Let's go out to Dave is in New Jersey. Dave, next up on the Gordon Damer Show. Oh, how you doing? Hey, Dave. Hey, yeah, I made a mistake of your call screener. I meant to say... 
Landry was a uh, defensive coordinator with the Giants, not Lombardi. Okay. But the two best op- the two best head coaches, the best head coach ever is Lombardi, the offense. But then Belichick, he was defense. Landry yeah. was defense. Parcells was defense. Yeah. That guy but those are all guys from 30 years ago, about. at least. You know what I mean? Like, those are guys from 30 years ago. Now, because of, of the changes in the game and, and, and the focus that's been on, you know, back 30 years ago, there were more ways that you could build a winning team, right? You could be ground and pound. You could be, you know, you could chuck the ball all over the place. You certainly had to have defense. That's not really so much that you have to have, to win at the highest levels, you have to have a quarterback who can, who can lift you to those highest levels. That position yeah, is taking on more importance put, because of the offensive. But if explosion. you get an offensive coordinator like the guy that, co- that was um... – the Giants head coach a couple years ago. He came from the Browns. Sherman. Sherman. What was his name again? Yeah, Pat Sherman. Sherman. Sherman's Sherman. a great offensive coordinator. Great with the great with quarterbacks. Yeah. You know, there's some guys that you just hire aren't him. Head coaches. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's some guys that are just not head coaches, though. You know, and you know, and uh, what's his name? Who who was uh, Tom Brady's first offense coordinator? Ron Earhart, or was no? It was the guy that went to coach at Notre Dame. Daniels. Josh no, it was before him. Oh, no, before I, I him, it was the he was he was a giant. He was on the Giants staff with uh, Parcells. Was it back uh, when Dan? Was that wasn't Dan Henning. No, it was it was a guy that was um, he coached Notre Dame for a couple of years. Oh, Charlie Weiss. Yeah, Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss. Weiss did with yeah, he was uh, Brady's first offense coordinator. Right. Yeah, think about it, man. You know, you get yourself a good defense coordinator, you build a good defense. Hey, defense well, wins in the NFL. No, no, it doesn't, Dave. I mean, look, yeah, I, you, you want you don't want to have the, the worst Bowl, defense. What's that? What? You don't want to have the worst the defense. Super Bowl usually does. No, you know? I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think you have to have an offense. And, and, Dave, thanks for the phone call. Look, you don't want to have the worst defense. You have to have an acceptable level of defense. You have to be able to get off the field. But, uh, no, I mean, the, the NFL, it's, it's clearly uh, an offensive league now. You have to be able to score points, and you know there's a reason why the quarterback position is as valued as it is. It's a reason why people are jumping over themselves. You know, like why do you think that people are talking about the Chicago Bears of whether or not they should trade Justin Fields? Because you got to get that position right. If you don't get that position right, everything else is. It doesn't matter if you get everything else right if you don't get the quarterback. You have to have the quarterback. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Oh, yes, people, you know that music. It is time. We've changed the time. But it is time for what I learned this week on TikTok. Now, if you're new to the segment, very simple. This segment is the home of both useless but entertaining information. I, as a 52-year-old man, spend way too much time on that TikTok app. It's so addictive, and it's because I learn so much. Every single week I learn something interesting, but yet completely useless. So we've kind of crafted this segment for whoever is uh, working on the show that day, who was ever producing, Chantel and uh, Jacob, in the uh, house today. So we'll put them in the spotlight. Even people working behind the scenes, they like the spotlight every once in a while, and they deserve the spotlight because they work so hard. So we have this fun little segment where I will give both of them four pieces of information, one of which is something I learned this week on TikTok, three of which are something I've completely made up, and they have to decipher which is which. And it's very simple. It's very fun. We do it every week, usually at 5 o'clock, today 5.30. So, uh, Jacob, Chantel, uh, how are we going to break things down today? Are we going to go, uh, who's, who's going first is what my question is. 
Uh, I'm going to go first today. All right. <clears throat> I'll make sure to stay away from any celebrities. We had a little bit of an issue last time. <laughs> not really all that focused on celebrities, which is good. That's a good way to, I mean, we all should be not focused on celebrities. I might have missed out on that one. I don't know what happened. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, you did miss out. It was a big miss on your part. Um, well, you were gone for like so long. I don't know where you, I don't know, you were working Anita's show. I don't know, you were working Dave. You got called up to the big leagues. I don't know. I mean, I'm um, all over the place at this point. I, I don't know my, so. People were talking about a possible suspension. I didn't know what was going on. I don't know who these people, I, 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 I said there was no way, but you know, people talk. All right, here we go, Chantel. Number one, the children's song, The Muffin Man, was actually a warning to kids about a serial killer. Number two, only 75% of water is actually wet based on the Douglas liquidity scale. The other 25% is generally rated as hard or rough. Number three, on April 13th, 2029, an asteroid more than 1,000 feet wide will pass by Earth closer than the moon, or number four, Smashing Pumpkins lead singer Billy Corrigan is an expert-level Connect Four player. Wow. To recap, I'll give you a second here to kind of go through these things. Number one, the children's song The Muffin Man was actually a warning to kids about a serial killer. Number two, 75%, only 75% of water is actually wet based on the Douglas liquidity scale. The other 25% is generally rated as hard or rough. Number three, on April 13th, 2029, an asteroid more than 1,000 feet wide will pass by Earth closer than the moon, or number four, Smashing Pumpkins lead singer Billy Corrigan, who I'm sure you don't know who is, who he is, is an expert-level Connect Four player. Okay, well. Um, a lot to take in, I understand. Definitely a lot to take in. I'm going to say that 100% of water is wet. Okay, cross <laughs> that one off. All right. Yeah, uh, I'm going to go with the Muffin Man warning. The Muffin Man. The children's song, The Muffin Man, was actually warning to, about the serial No, that isn't correct. It's um, incorrect. There is a popular TikTok that is going around about that, but uh, it's actually made up. It has no basis in reality. Okay. So we'll cross that one off. Yeah, we'll cross that one off. I do know who the Smashing Pumpkins are. Oh, okay. All right. Awesome. Yes. Uh, so I'm you're down go- to three. You, well, you're down to two because you crossed off the water one. But no, uh, you were left with um, the, the asteroid or the... Uh, the, the smashing pumpkins. Right? Yeah, um, the asteroid one. I don't feel like that is a fact because okay. 2029 is not today. So no, it's not anywhere close. Right. Uh, I'm gonna go with the Connect Four, the smashing Billy, pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, yes. smashing pumpkins. Locking it in. Uh, that is also incorrect. No. Also so now you find yourself a position that Jacob has found himself in uh, many a time, where the two, you know, you always get taught in school. Four choices, you cross off two that can't be, and then you just decide between the, the two that it could be. Uh, but now you've crossed off the two you thought it could be, and now you're left with the two that you thought were impossible. So you're now down to the asteroid or the 75% of water. Uh, okay. Um, I refuse to believe that 95% of water is 75%. Only 75% of water is actually wet. The 100% other part is 25% of water is, is hard or rough. Actually wet. So okay. let's go with the asteroid. We'll let's lock, lock that in. in. Yes, that is correct. The asteroid, it does not really have a name. It has like numbers and letters. But yeah, April 13th. Mark it down, people. <laughs> Jet fans, you only have until 2020. No, I'm just kidding. 
April 13th, 2029, there's an asteroid that they are already tracking. It's more than 1,000 feet wide, and it will pass by Earth closer than the moon. I want you, when that happens six years from now, to say, you know where I heard that first? Gordon Damer. Gordon Damer told me about the asteroid. We'll all be focused on it. We'll be able to see it in the sky. It's not going to hit us. At least, I don't think so. We might have to get Ben Affleck and the boys ready. But, yes, that is correct. Very good. Very nice job. Thank you. All right, uh, Jacob, you're up uh, next here. Are you ready, my friend? As ready as I'm going to be. All right. Number two uh, question. Here we go. Number one. Uh, After the success of the first film, Forrest Gump 2 had an approved script that would have had Forrest, among other things, in the back of the O.J. Ford Bronco during his police chase. Number two, instead of Ronald McDonald, McDonald's first planned mascot was a dragon. Number three, famous author John Grisham once worked as a uh, potato chip inspector as a teenager. Or number four, the Ford Pinto, one of, by all accounts, the worst cars of all time, was actually released on April 1st, April Fool's, 1971. So again, to recap for the people at home, or driving around in their cars. Number one, after the success of the first film, Forrest Gump 2 had an approved script that would have had Forrest, among other things, in the back of O.J.'s Ford Bronco during his police chase. Number two, instead of Ronald McDonald, McDonald's first planned mascot was a dragon. Number three, author John Grisham once worked as a potato chip inspector as a teenager. Or number four, the Ford Pinto, one of the worst cars of all time, that's not debatable, uh, was actually released on April 1st, April Fool's, 1971. Okay, well, uh, I don't know why this went out the gate. The Forrest Gump 2 immediately jumped out to me because it's already crazy how the first one's plot was and it was all over the place and how much it covered over history. So Mm -hmm. that's actually interesting, and that's the one I'm going to lock in. You're going to lock it in? Oh, yeah. You feel very confident about that. Oh, yeah, out the gate. Yes, that is correct. Wow, I'm really upset that I used that one now. Darn it. Yeah, they had a they had an approved script for uh, Forrest Gump 2, which, I mean, like you would think, that's uh, the first movie made a billion dollars. So, uh, yeah, why? W- and there was a book. It was based on a book, and there was a sequel to the book. But uh, they, they submitted the script on September 10th, 2001. And the next day, obviously, it was 9-11, and they just felt like, we can't tell this story with all these, like, uh, you know, important dates in history. Not include this. We can't include it because of the seriousness of the of the topic. So, yeah, they have to scrap. Um, it was out right right from that point on. All right. Very nice job, Jacob. I got one more for you. Okay. You guys can team up for this one if you wish. Uh, here we go. Darn it. I hate when you get them right away. It makes me. You realize you've ruined my day now. I didn't mean to, and no, I know, you, and I know you're going out later, but no, I didn't. Yeah, mean I was to. going out. I have uh, big plans tonight. Very disappointing. All right, number one, billionaire Paul Allen used to demand that his coffee, each cup, was made with exactly sixty beans. Number two, chickens are seventy-five percent water. Number three, for the first few years of the Macy's Day Parade, organizers would cut the strings on the hot air balloons and just simply let them float away because they did not have the space to store them. Or number four, Ikea consumes around 9% of the world's lumber. So to recap again, number one, billionaire Paul Allen 
no longer with us, but when he was, he used to demand that his coffee was made with exactly 60 beans. Number two, chickens are 75% water. Number three, for the first few years, the Macy's Day Parade organizers would cut the strings on the balloons, just simply let them float away. Can you imagine? You see like a giant dog floating down your block. Uh, they would let them float away because they did not have the space to store them. Or number four, Ikea. Second uh, reference of Ikea today. Uh, consumes around 9% of the world's lumber. Okay. Feeling strongly about anything there, Hotshot? You, you got the last one right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, I was over here debating with Chantel about chickens. and <laughs> Right. If it does indeed have 75% water, and she's okay. going to tell me that they're our cousins. So We're related to chickens. Okay. How are we not? All right. So I'm going to go with that seven, That chickens are the 70. chickens are 75% water. Yes. Okay. Now, Jacob, are you going to stick with her, or are you going to go something different? Historically, you would say, you know, like... Just by math, you would say to get it right, you got to go somewhere different. But I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, you, okay. you do you. You do what you think. Is best. I mean, I know humans are, but I guess you know billionaires are often kind of crazy, eccentric. <laughs> yep. So I mean, asking for exactly sixty beans of coffee and then probably sending it back if it's like fifty nine or sixty one. Even if you would know at that point, <laughs> Paul Allen was a very interesting guy. Apparently, he was like an amazing guitarist. He was like um, he was like Jimi Hendrix. He was that good on the guitar. But I think to but me, did he want did he want sixty beans in his coffee? Who knows? I think he wanted sixty beans in his coffee. And and if I'm wrong, I mean, so be it. So be it. I got the All last right. one right. Locked in. Everybody's locked in. Lock it in. I, I would tell you, somebody is correct. And it is Chantel. Yes, oh, chickens man. are seventy-five <laughs> percent water. Yes, very good. Paul Allen. There was somebody who actually wanted sixty beans in their coffee. Might have been Galileo or somebody. I'm not sure. I can't remember who exactly. The uh, first year of the Macy's Day Parade, they did let one balloon go, but it wasn't. They didn't do that for years and years. And uh, con- IKEA consumes around one percent of the uh, world's lumber. So very good round for both Chantel and for uh, Jacob. And uh, that, my friends is what I learned this week on TikTok. And now because of this segment, you have learned it too. You're listening to the best of ESPN New York tonight. Big touchdown pass from uh, Geno Smith to uh, DK Metcalf. And the Seahawks have pulled in front 14-13. Now they are getting close to halftime. Niners are driving again. But uh, look, I mean, this is... uh, If you're a Seahawks fan or... uh, Someone who has the nine and a half. This is what you were looking for in the first half. Certainly a competitive first half, especially after they fall behind 10 nothing. They get 14 points in this second quarter and uh, some big plays. Geno Smith, efficient so far, 9 to 10, 100 yards, touchdown there. So I think a lot of people were expecting the Niners to just kind of blitz the Seahawks and come in here. And, and when they jump out to the 10 nothing lead, you don't feel too good uh, within the first five minutes of the game. But the Seahawks have responded. And, and you know, I said before the game I was going to take the Niners because it felt like the the environment was was playing that way. But when you look at this game, two division teams, nine and a half points, a playoff game, Kyle Shanahan does generally have the tendency to be a little bit conservative at times. So uh, we'll see how the second half plays out. And, and look, as I'm saying that, the Niners are driving again. They still have uh, 30 seconds here to go before halftime. So there's a very good chance they get another touchdown. But uh, look, I'm kind of pulling for Geno a little bit here. I thought he's been such a great story all season long. And um, we'll see if they can, you know, pull off the upset here uh, against uh, San Francisco. But um, all right, 1-800-919-ESPN is the telephone number, one 800 
7-6. So we've, uh, let me make sure that I've hit it right because we've got picks coming up uh, at 6 o'clock. We have hit on all the Jet stuff. We've hit on all the Giant stuff. We've hit on Correa. We've touched on the Yankees. The one thing we've not touched on yet is the Knicks. And uh, they certainly, um, for lack of a better term, they deserve to be touched. We should be touching the Knicks all we can because they pull off another win last night. And it's funny, I, I, I don't know what a lot of people are looking for with the Knicks, but this is, this is kind of what it looks like when you're building something. Now, I don't know how this season is going to end, and I don't know where it's going to go, but with where they're at right now in the Eastern Conference and the way they're playing, the way they've responded, okay, they have the big winning streak, and you think to yourself, all right, well, that's not, you know, it's great and all, but uh, that's not something that's going to really, you know, carry over. And then they go out and they follow it up with a losing streak, and then they get right back to winning again and, and doing it pretty consistently since they've gone to this uh, shortened rotation. If you want to build something, this is what it looks like. So I'm sure that there will be downturns, and when that happens, people will go to all the same kind of um, uh, straw men that they, they are not straw men, but you know the same kind of uh, lightning rods that they always go to and always complain about. Tibbs is the coach, or Randall is the uh, doing what he does or whatnot. But I, I, there's no way you could look at this point of the season and have anything but good things to say about what the Knicks have done. They, they blew another lead last night. It was 15 points in the fourth quarter. They let that one slip away, but they got it back. They beat the Wizards, and, uh, and, and Brunson and Randall leading the way. Randall, 23 points, 16 rebounds. Brunson, 34, 8, and 8. And I, like, I don't know what more needs to be said. It's been said a thousand times. It's not anything new, uh, but, I mean, what, this has been such an amazing signing. And at the time when they signed him, I thought it was a good signing. I was happy you finally got a point guard. But there was, there was a part of me like, all right, let's not get carried away. After all, it's the Knicks. The Knicks, when they sign free agents, even when they do work out to an extent, it doesn't work out the way you want it to. It has worked out leaps and bounds better. I mean, he very well might be the Knicks' best point. Of, of, of the Knicks that I remember watching, you know, from, from you know, 82, 83 on. Uh, he might be the best point guard the Knicks have had. <laughs> it's not a very deep list. I mean, that's how well he is playing. He's been fantastic. He has been everything and more. And at the time, even people who kind of liked the signing, well, I like they get overpaid. Well, you have to overpay in free agency. If you only make the reasonable deals, you won't sign anybody. You have to overpay. And this is a time where I don't think the Knicks, based on how he's playing, I don't think that they did overpay. He has been everything that you could possibly want. He plays well. And, and then when the games are over, he always talks about things that he can improve on, what he needs to do better. So that's what you're talking about from a leader and from a guy who, you know, is kind of a foundational piece on your team and comes up big down the stretch. He's been fantastic. We have to kind of give Julius Randle credit. Not just, not just the diehard Nick fans, but the casual Nick fans. You know, two years ago at the time, it was great. It, it did kind of feel a little bit like an aberration, but this is proof. Two things. A, two years ago was not an aberration. He is playing kind of at an all-star level again. And this is proof. You can always turn things around in this town. When, when there are guys, when there are players, when there are coaches that are not, you know, living up to whatever expectations we set, 
We owe it. Zach Wilson, a perfect example. Oh, you know, New York is so tough. New York is so brutal. They don't have any patience. They run you out of town. Well, we, we were trying to run Randall out of town. He stuck around and turned things around. And then when we tried to run him out of town last year, oh, you got to get this guy out of here, this contract, blah, blah, blah. He's turned it around again. And he's perfect proof that you can always turn things around. It's all based on performance. And you'd have to say, like, he's kind of more efficient than he was a couple of years ago. His defense has gotten better. His rebounding has improved. So, you know, for a Knicks franchise, we all kind of have been in agreement that you can't strip it down with the Knicks and ever expect a free agent to come here because nobody wants to come here and be the savior. So if you want to build something, I think this is kind of what it looks like. You take some pieces that you already have, you get the best production out of them, you compile some assets in terms of draft picks, you find some role players in the draft, like quickly and Grimes. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the good thing about the Knicks is the, the area of need that they have, which is clear, and, and that's you know shooting from the outside. They have no shooters. It's, it's kind of good that it's that crystal clear because it should be kind of easy to fix. Like when you have – I think they, what are they, they have three guys. Um, they're 25th in three-point shooting, only two guys shooting better than 34%. So, yeah, if you can go out and just kind of get any kind of production from that area, which you're not getting any right now of, uh, that should be another boost to this Knicks team. Now, I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team or a play-in team, but based on what I thought coming into the season, it's been far better, it's been far more entertaining, and we really have no reason to complain about where the Knicks are at. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.